In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The word mandi comes from the Latin term mandatum, from which we get the word mandate or command. It's Commandment Thursday, or more specifically, New Commandment Thursday. We gather to celebrate the sacred meal that Jesus instituted for us to observe on this very day, but also, church, to remember its purpose and its function in the life of the church. And John's gospel captures this dimension to the Lord's Supper that we often overlook in our highly individualistic culture. So for this evening's This evening's meditation, let us remember not only our Lord's institution of the sacrament of the altar, but also its intended purpose for our lives. What is it doing to us? And to do this, we need to look at what Jesus was up to on that night in the upper room. In verses 34 and 35, he said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So Jesus was not a new Moses in the sense that he came to give us additional laws and regulations and so forth. Rather, he came to shine a light on what Moses had already brought to bear in his ministry. He came to actually amplify the law so that it would serve the purpose of pointing out our sins and driving us to repentance, to seek the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And Jesus also came to relieve us of the condemnation of the law by his fulfilling of it along with his death and his resurrection. So he did not give us any new laws per se, but rather a far higher standard here, especially in our love for others. But before either his disciples or we could understand this standard that we are being called to, he first had to demonstrate what he meant by it. Now, before we go any further, it's important to remember, who is Jesus talking to here? He is talking to his disciples. And it's critical that we remember who he is telling them to love in this way one another. Not their neighbors, not the people in the marketplace, not the pagans in the temple down the road. This is about Jesus' disciples. This is about you. This is about everyone in this room. So this is not a love that is to the exclusion of everybody else. This is not to say don't love your neighbors. That's Jesus teaches us that, right? But this is a special kind of love that Jesus is teaching us here. It's a different kind of love. It's one that he himself is going to demonstrate and one that is actually inseparable from the reception of his gifts at the altar. So this is about Jesus setting forth for us how the community of disciples are to interact with one another in a way that is different than the rest of the world. And he establishes it in the context of this meal that we know as the Lord's Supper. So keep that in mind as we proceed. Jesus' last hour was drawing near. His hour that he had prepared for, the hour that he was talking about, 
since he started to get to know the disciples. The time in which he was going to take upon himself the punishment for all sins of humanity. He was going to drink the wrath of God down to the very dregs. What what must have been going through Jesus' mind on that Thursday? We're just a day day out here until he's going to drink the wrath of God. What must he have been thinking? Well, before they ate the Passover meal and before Jesus' transformation of that meal into what we now know as the Lord's Supper, our gospel lesson in John actually describes some of his inner thoughts. And it actually describes this kind of logical progression. In verse 1, When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He knew that he was leaving. He knew that he was going back to the Father with whom he had shared all divine glory, all divine love in eternity past according to his divinity. But that divine love that the Son of God had with his Father in the unity of the Holy Spirit, Jesus wanted to share that love. God wanted to lavish it upon his creation. He wanted to lavish it upon his disciples, upon you and upon me. So during his time on earth, Jesus was determined to love them to the end. Now listen to the progression here. Listen to the connection between the person and the work of Jesus. During supper... When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God, Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him. He was all-knowing according to his divine nature. Jesus had received all things into his hands from the Father, according to his human nature. He had come from God. He had become incarnate in the womb of his mother Mary. He became one Christ with two natures. He was going back to God as one Christ with two natures. He was supreme over all things as both God and man. Now, how did he express that supremacy? That authority. He rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with the towel that was around him. We're talking about the Son of God here. the second person of the Holy Trinity, the one through whom all things exist, the one in whom all things hold together. He knows who he is. He knows what he came to do. He knows that to him belong all authority in heaven and on earth, all dominion, glory, and honor. And what was his impulse? For Jesus, what did it seem the most natural thing to do? For the ruler of the universe, it was most fitting that he grab a towel, 
that he get on his knees and that he serve those that he loved. He was determined to love them to the very end. He was dead set on showing them how far this love would go from heaven itself all the way to the grit and grime of the bottoms of those feet that traverse those dusty streets, all the way to the cross, all the way to the tomb, all the way to hell itself and back. And they, of course, didn't understand. Who would? We don't. It's going to take us eternity to wrap our minds around this love. I'm reminded of John the Baptist's reaction whenever Jesus comes to the Jordan River. Jesus steps down into the river and he says, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me to be baptized? Peter said something similar whenever Jesus started washing his feet. He said, Lord, do you wash my feet? That's beneath you. And after Jesus explained that Peter would understand later, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Ain't going to happen. Yeah, that's not something that you want to say to Jesus. When the Lord of the universe, when the eternal Son of God wants to wash you, you say, okay, that's good with me. You don't say, that's unbecoming of you. Why? Well, because for Jesus, this is how authority works. He's the one doing the washing. He's the one doing the dying. He's the one doing the saving. Not you, not me, not Peter. He says, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. In other words, if you refuse to allow me to love you in this way, then you won't be. It's either all my love or none of it. Peter got the message, at least in his own way, right? Because he went extreme. <laughs> he wanted Jesus not to just wash his feet, but also his hands and his head. He wanted the whole treatment, right? As if Jesus was opening up a day spa all of a sudden. But this wasn't the point that Jesus was making. He wanted this washing to point to something greater that he was going to accomplish in his death and resurrection. He wanted this to be a prefiguring of holy baptism, the washing of holy baptism that all believers receive, where Jesus washes us himself. Ephesians 5, he cleanses his church by the washing of water with the word so that he would present the church pure and spotless to his Father in heaven. This washing that is the cleansing of our consciences along with the washing of our bodies with pure water, according to Hebrews chapter 10. And this is the way that he was going to love his disciples. This is the way that he was going to love each and every single one of you to the end by taking our place on the cross, by enduring our punishment, and in turn, washing us pure and spotless, presenting us to God without spot or blemish. Yeah, this washing of the disciples' feet is a preview. It's a picture of the type of love that Jesus was going to show for the world. But that pattern of love that he came to establish for all, he begins with his disciples. 
If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do as I have done to you. Truly, truly, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So if the Lord of the universe is not above washing feet, then how can we be? If the Savior of the world is committed to loving us to the end, then how can we not love one another? We do not love everyone in our lives in exactly the same way. It may be the same amount, but our loves are different. For example, I do not love my children in the same way that I love my wife. Hopefully not. I do not love my friends in the same way that I love my children. See, this is what our culture does not understand about love. Whenever they mindlessly re repeat that vacuous phrase, love is love, love is love, love is love. No, it isn't. Not all love is the same. There are so many dimensions to it. But this type of love that Jesus calls us to is the one that we are especially to exercise towards those of this fellowship, those with whom we are in communion. The people in this church, the people in our church body. Now this is not to say that we ever withhold love from someone who's not a part of our local church. That's not what I'm saying. But the love, brothers and sisters, is not the same. It's not. It's not an accident that Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper on the same night that he gave this new commandment. They are bound up together. You cannot remove them from one another. Those whom we are called to love in this foot-washing, love-to-the-end type of way are those with whom we receive the Lord's body and blood. So this is what I'm saying. Whenever, whenever the Lord Jesus Christ gives us this meal, what is it doing for us? Is it just forgiving our sins? Yes, it does that. that that's why he gives it to us. But what does it do in our lives? It forms our love. And this cuts right against our American sensibilities, doesn't it? The old Adam in us, the sinful nature, wants just, we want this individualistic religious journey. It's me and God and no one else. No one else is going to have a say in the matter. Whenever I come up to the altar to receive the Lord's body and blood, that's between he and I. No one else gets a say. That's not what Jesus is teaching. That's never been true, ever. You know what? The Lord's Supper obligates us to one another. It's what St. Paul was teaching in our epistle lesson. It's why the people in Corinth, the church at Corinth, that's why some of them were getting sick and some of them were dying from taking the Lord's Supper. Why? Because they were doing it in disunity and disharmony. Not only were they believing a million different things about the apostles' teaching, but they also refused to love one another. This is no joke. 
It's not a symbol. We're not play acting. It's not a, a, an empty ritual. It's the crucified, risen, and ascended Lord Jesus Christ coming to be among his people so that we can eat and drink his very body and blood together. There's nothing individualistic about this meal. This is one of the reasons why we, as a church body, should be, most, most of us do, but we should be practicing closed communion. Not because we're trying to be exclusive, but because here's what we're saying whenever we take the Lord's Supper. By taking this meal, it means that you believe what we believe and that you're going to do what we do. This is what Jesus has instituted. That we love one another in this way. That we walk in this type of unity. And that you are committed to loving the person next to you. The person that's taking communion next to you. The person that, you know, you kind of trip over your feet to avoid and stuff like that. That's the person who Jesus is calling you to wash their feet. Tall task. So I, I, think, it was, uh, I think it was Dr. Jeff Gibbs, this professor at Concordia St. Louis, who put it this way in one of his lectures. He said, he said that whenever he sang in the choir at his church, one of his choir mates uh, got sick and ended up in the hospital for, I think, a couple weeks. And Gibbs asked himself, should I go see him? He was kind of thinking to himself, should I go see him? And then all of a sudden it hit him. Of course I should go see him. I take communion with him. See how that works? So when you come to the altar to receive the body and blood of Jesus, you do receive the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. Those are the benefits that you receive. But what does this sacrament do? That's the benefits. What does it do? It makes you one with Christ. Physically, spiritually, it makes you one with his people, physically, spiritually. Brothers and sisters by blood. And through this sacrament, Jesus comes to serve and strengthen us, not just in faith toward God, but in fervent love toward one another. You know that prayer that you hear a lot after the Lord's Supper? Faith towards God and fervent love towards one another. What does that mean? Luther wrote that, by the way. John 13, this type of love. It's the love to the end that we're talking about. It's the Jesus getting on his knees and washing the disciples' feet. That type of love. So whenever we take the sacrament tonight, we know a little bit more of what that love means. That love that Jesus has for each and every single one of us. So may the Lord help us to love one another in the same way that he has shown us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.